My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us this morning. So welcome to everybody online. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of folks. Hello, everybody. Uh, we are in Mark chapter 14 today, and I, I believe, Lord willing, uh, today will be our last week in Mark chapter 14. So 437 weeks later, we are finally exiting the longest chapter. <laughs> Woo, I tell you. Um, when, I, when I began to read through Mark, I guess it was, was that 18? I guess it was. Uh, in preparation for the series, it was one of those, um, man, that's a really long chapter. Like, that's going to take a minute to get through. And then, uh, yes, that was a, a correct assessment. So, so we'll ask our question that we ask each week. I liked what we did last week. We asked it at the end of class, and I think that actually worked better. Uh, so I'm going to start doing that. We'll just move the, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far to the end of the lesson. Uh, and... Thanks, Mom. Appreciate that. Uh, I didn't click the buttons I'm supposed to on my magic iPad up here, and they were still looking at the welcome screen. So, hello, everybody. Yay. Um, but the, uh, we're going to read a little more of Mark chapter 14 today than we have. I would like to start with verse 26. We usually start with verse 32, but we'll start with verse 26 and read down through 72 because I want to catch... Jesus' prophecy about Peter, and I, I struggled when I first started reading uh, the, the Gospel of Mark, describing what Jesus was doing when he would predict something a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months or just a handful of years in the future as like prophecy. But the prophets didn't know by and large, how far out into the distance exactly what was going to happen was going to happen. Um, and Jesus is contrasted with that, obviously, because he knows exactly when it's going to happen. He knows how he is engaged in making it and uh, allowing it. You pick your uh, verb of choice there. But, uh, but I want you to see this really neat prophecy that Jesus makes in the first part of this uh, section we'll start to read. So let's look at... Uh, Mark 14, we'll start with verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. 
And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to evoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Mark chapter 14. So as we talked about last week, the scene shifts here in this last section of Mark 14, the verses 66 through 72. We shift away from Jesus, whose this mock trial has... Uh, wrapped up, and we shift back to Peter to see what's he going to do, All right, because he is recorded as the only one of the apostles who follows Jesus this closely at this point. 
Right? None of the other Gospels talk about any of the other uh, disciples being there for this particularly. So we looked at how, where he was. He was in the courtyard. He had begun to deny. We see his first uh, accusation in verse 66. We see his first denial in verse 68. I do want to draw attention to a couple of things here in verse 68. If you're on your handout, I'm on page 508. Uh, those are available at OurSundaySchool.com if you're online. Uh, we are going to be making a trip to a website today. Uh, not up here. I'm just going to have you do it on your phones. Uh, so just have that handy as well. But the word that is used for denied in verse 68 is uh, arneomai. Arneomai. And it is... Uh, a word that just means to contradict, to deny, to disavow. It's used in verse 68 and verse 70, uh, and it's the only time it's used in Mark's gospel. So this is what Peter does in verse 68, and then almost immediately in verse 69, the servant girl saw him and began again. So it's the same servant girl. It's his second accusation. In verse 70, but he again, he denied. Again, if you look at the Greek word there at the bottom of page 506, arneomai. Again, right? So it's the same word. He's repeatedly, uh, repeatedly denying here, though. In the first, it was in the aorist tense, and the second is in the imperfect, so he's repeatedly here. And we looked at, you know, how do we reconcile this account with Matthew's account last week? How many times did he actually deny? It was a lot. And then at the end of verse 70, and they said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you were a Galilean. We talked about how it would have been easy to hear the difference in Peter's accent than those who were around the fire. This is just a different parts of the country. We are familiar with this. Hi, my name's Jim. I am a recovering redneck. Um, and then we get to verse 71. So verse 71 says, But he began to invoke a curse on himself. And several of your questions, if you remember back, you know, nine years ago when we began Mark chapter 14 and we did the overview lesson, there were several of you that looked at it like, why, like, why would you invoke a curse on yourself? This seems really, really weird to me. All right. So first things first. Do you see anything after the words on himself in the handout? There's nothing in any brackets on the handout after on himself because it's not there in the original. The ESV has added this. And the challenge is there's nothing in the verb tense here either that would imply that he's doing this to himself. It's just a present active infinitive. There's, there's actually some stuff that's not present in this verb that is typically present in a normal Greek New Testament verb, which gives us less to go on than a normal fully fleshed out what's the object and where is it headed and the plural and the sync. There's just there's very, there's none of that. So here's where I want you to go to. I want you to carry up your phones, and I want you to go to the website bible.cc, as in uh, Charlie Charlie. Bible.cc. Now, this is the name of the website that I first experienced this uh, website with 15 years ago. I think it's biblehub.com now, but bible.cc. And uh, it's one of the clunkiest interfaces you will ever find in your entire life. Like this was built a long time ago and somebody with some really good programming skills could make this a lot better. Uh, but if you go to biblehub.com, 
Babel.cc, uh, you'll see at the top of the screen is a little drop down, right? So click the click Genesis there and scroll down and then find Mark and click Mark. And the menu will then refresh for Mark. You're like, wait, I remember websites doing that 10 years ago. Like I said, this is not a very well-designed website. It does have a very specific functionality that is shockingly helpful. Then you check on the, um, check on the uh, Mark 14, and it'll reset the menu for all the verses in Mark. And then click on Mark 1471. So you actually have to click three different things to get to Mark 1471. Now, I started with is a clunky interface, and you now are experiencing, <laughs> really, like, can you imagine designing something like this now? It's ridiculous. So here's what this website does. This website aggregates pretty much every English translation for a, a given Bible verse. Now, I don't typically use this on a given Sunday morning. Our approach in our Sunday school is we go back to the original language, and then we kind of build out from there. But when I see things that are translated like this, I want to know, like, where, where did they get that? Like, how often does that show up in our modern English translations? And um, it does show up, but you'll notice a couple of things. So I'll give you, um, I'm going to get in trouble for this. So I'm just going to tell you right now stepping way outside some things. But uh, the first one there is the New International Version. Fine. The next is the New Living Translation. Uh, okay. The English Standard Version. Uh, the, the Berean Study Bible. Does anybody know that was a, uh, a translation? Right. I mean, they're going to they're gonna pull translations from all over the map. So I'm not really, I'm not looking to dig into too many of those. What I'm looking for, if you scroll down, there's a New King James. No himself is there. The New American Standard. What does the New American Standard do with it? Puts it in italics, right? So this tells us, hey, this is added. I'm being transparent about this, okay? The NASB 1995, which is, uh, a, I would argue, a much better translation than the New, New American Standard. Uh, doesn't have himself in it. The Amplified Bible puts it in brackets, right? Christian Standard doesn't have it. Holman Christian Standard doesn't have it. American Standard doesn't have it. Contemporary English Version doesn't have it. English Revised Version doesn't have it. I'm skipping through a, a few here. Uh, the Net Bible doesn't have it. The, the majority of the really good English translations do not have on himself. Now, could he have been doing this? Could he have been cursing himself? Yeah, he could have, absolutely. The issue, my issue with this is that there is nothing that is in the text that's going to lead you to believe he was cursing himself. Now, if you have seen a movie that is not rated G in the last few years, you might be aware that it is possible for characters to light into a string of curses and in the middle of that somewhere be cursing themselves should they be telling a falsehood, right? There's a way to say this that is 
shockingly not okay for us to talk about in Sunday school or to give examples of in Sunday school, uh, but it is possible to do this. Now, so I'm going to push pause on that concept. So I don't think on himself was there, but what was a curse? So in the New Testament time, what was a curse? Because our 21st century American minds read this and they're like, oh, it's the four-letter words. One of them, maybe, but not the majority of them. What, what is a curse? Yes, sir? Absolutely. You're calling down a judgment on someone. So this could be damning someone to hell. That would be a curse. This could also be, may something negative happen to me if this either does or does not happen or if I'm telling the truth or telling a lie, whatever your category is here. But this does not necessarily mean that he is using George Carlin's uh, banned words. Like that... This is not that. So I want to make sure that we are in two different camps. There are other parts of the Bible that talk about the wholesome talk that comes out of our mouth. This is really not that. And then to swear, so what would, and now we're getting even closer because now we're in the South, right? So your, your mama and your grandmama told you not to use swear words. So to swear just means to promise, right? To take an oath, to declare something. You could use this in a, uh, a court setting uh, this particular word is not typically used in a court setting, but uh, to swear or to promise. This, the word for swear is used one other time in Mar uh, Mark's gospel, Mark 6, 23. Mark 6, 23. Who is speaking in Mark 6, 23? And I, and I don't think it's... Um, I don't think it's accidental that Mark only uses this word twice, and the first time it's used, it's used by who? Herod. So if you remember back, Herod, good guy, bad guy, like double thumbs down, my, my big toes are pointed down. I mean, it's just, this guy's a mess, right? So anytime that we're doing something that Herod was doing, pump the brakes, let's make sure, I mean, we're, Mark is very clearly to his original readers connecting these two concepts, right? So where is Simon Peter physically at when he does this? He's in the courtyard with the soldiers. He's not in the right crowd. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And he's behaving like the pagan king. There's not really a lot more that Mark can do to illustrate for us both physically and verbally that Peter is well outside of what his rabbi has been teaching him to do. So I just want us to be aware of that. So he invoked a curse on himself and began to swear, and here's a quote. I do not know this man of whom you speak. I think about how sad that is. I mean, this is really, really sad. And this is, he uses it for the word no, he uses the perfect tense, which means this is completed action with the results continuing, which is a way to say, I never knew this man. It, some of the, if you, if you were stay on uh, Bible.cc, you'll see that some of the translations say, I never knew this man. And you're like, well, never, word never come in. Well, that's the, the parsing of the verb there. 
So I don't know this man of whom you speak. So I want to pause here for just a second, and we're going to jump ahead in the timeline. And we're going to jump ahead in the timeline about seven and a half weeks. It's about seven and a half weeks from this day what happens in the Bible. There you go. And where does Pentecost happen? Happens in the book of the Acts, the apostles, right? Let's go to Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to read his whole sermon, but Simon Peter stands up and it's different what comes out of his mouth. So I'm going to start with verse 22 and read a couple of verses there. Men of Israel, hear these. Now, this is just after he has quoted Joel. And I don't know how often you quote the Bible, but I'm going to bet a nickel that Joel is not in your top ten hit list of ready-on-the-tongue quotes. Right? It, I will rapidly confess to you guys it is not on my uh, top 64 list of readily quotable books of the Bible, right? This is not happening. So it gets to verse 22. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Less than eight weeks later, we move from, I never knew this man, to one of the clearest, most direct <laughs> declarations of who Jesus was, what he did. You knew it. You experienced it. And he is alive. So you're like, well, what are you, what are you getting at, Jim? All right. So a couple of things. Um, we beat up on the apostles for their mistakes sometimes, a lot. They're, they're pretty easy targets. I mean, it's like, come on, guys. Like, what are you doing? He just said the opposite of that. Now you're saying this. I mean, this is just, this is easy stuff. But uh, sometimes it is helpful to remember how their stories end. So I don't want to just give you part of the, part of the big picture, right? So as we begin to close Mark's Gospel... I think we've got somewhere between 15 and 17 lessons left. Um, as we begin to wind down, the, the lens that we are looking through is going to get wider and wider because I want us to start seeing some of the implications of this outside of Mark's gospel, what happened to them next. So he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Now, one of, the, one of the defining characteristics of a child of God and or someone who is under great conviction is what happens when you are presented with truth. When my actions and behavior come up against what God has said, what happens? And for those that are not children of God, 
behavior comes up against God's word. If you're not under conviction, it's just, well, that's just another book, whatever. Okay, you know, no big deal. But one of the defining characteristics for a believer is that when we come up against what God has said, there is deep conviction and remorse and godly sorrow over our behavior that leads toward repentance. And I will tell you, you do not get from Mark 14.71 to Acts 2.22 without a deep valley of repentance. And we see a little bit of it in verse 72. So let's look at verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed. Can you Now just put yourself in Simon Peter's. So he's just denied Jesus the third time. I don't know if this is going through his head or not. He's the most ADHD character in the New Testament. So who knows what he's actually thinking at any given time. But the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered. So I'm going to pause here, take a little bit of a side track. Uh, does anybody happen to have a strong-willed kid? Yeah, like maybe. Um, th there are things, characteristics, that some of our children, uh, and my mom's on right now, so this is like super awkward and fun, uh, that some of our children have that uh, can at times drive us nuts. Absolutely drive us nuts, right? And uh, one of Peter's characteristics, because this word is used twice in the Gospel of Mark, is the word remembered. And both times, Peter is doing the remembering. So let's look at Mark eleven twenty one, Because some of you might have a kid like Peter. So this is, uh, you remember this sandwich that Jesus had back in Mark 11? So he curses the fig tree. He goes and cleans out the temple. Next day they come back in front of the fig tree. Verse 20, uh, they passed by in the morning. They saw the fig tree had withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Has anybody got a kid whose superpower is remembering every single word you have ever said and quoting it back to you at the most inopportune, like you just... Um, Peter had a really good memory, which is kind of neat, right? And, and I would argue that it is not the primary reason why he was able to accurately transmit to Mark what to write down. And like the Holy Spirit had all of that covered. This is all under the inspiration of Scripture. Like we, we've got this covered. But God uses for his glory Peter's ability to recall information. So here, back in Mark 11, we don't get the whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart but believes what he says will come to pass it will be done for him. We don't get that unless Peter brings it back up. And in verse 72 in Mark 14, we don't get to see the brokenness of Peter. Unless there's a remembering of what the words that Jesus said. Yes, sir. Oh, wait, there's, there's other stuff that we could read about this? Yes. When he 
and looked at him. Right. I'm convinced that they made eye yes. And that yep. Absolutely. Yep. Because this space was very. This is. I mean, it, it was enough to hold the Sanhedrin, <laughs> but you can put a hundred people in this room easily. You can put a hundred people in this room. Take out these tables. Just put seating. Easily a hundred people in this room. You could have somebody in the hallway, and I can absolutely make eye contact with them in the hallway from here. Not a problem at all. This does not have to be, this was not acres and acres and acres of space. This is a house with a front yard and a courtyard, right? And in Luke's gospel, Jesus looks at him right after this rooster crows. Because Jesus, oh, that's a beautiful truth. Jesus hasn't forgotten his prophecy either. That'll work. So Peter remembered, verse 72 here, how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now I want you to notice something, because I have it underlined in my notes. We have talked many times as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark that to accurately quote someone in the first century was to get the gist of what they were saying and to communicate it with the intent and the approach that they were saying it. That is not what Peter does here. This is a word-for-word exact quote. Tense, singular, plural, every aspect you want to go, it's word-for-word. The word before shows up in Mark 14.30. The word rooster shows up in 14.30. The word crows shows up in 1430. The word twice shows up in 1430. The word deny shows up in 1430. The word three times shows up in 1430. Oh, and the U shows up in 1430 as well. This was one of those deeply personal moments between Jesus and Peter. And you guys have had these before in your life. Sorry, I keep whacking the mic. I've moved it. Apologies to those of you online. But you guys have had these moments before. Or you have some conversation with somebody and they say something to you and you're like, uh, I might regret this later. I don't know, maybe. And then when you regret it later, it's this burned into our mind, the memory into our hearts. We get this conviction. And then we see the last sentence in Mark 14. And he, this is Peter, broke down and wept. Now there's... There's about a million different ways to translate this into English. I think the ESV does a great job. Uh, you could also translate this broke down as to reflect. But this is a really complicated, flexible word. And I want you to see how it's used in Mark's gospel. So the first time it's used in Mark's gospel is Mark 4.37. And it might take you just a second to see where, like what word... What word in Mark 4.37 is epibolo? So this is where Jesus calms the storm. Mark 4.37, And a great windstorm arose, and the the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. You're like, wait, what? Did we get the wrong verse? Nope. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking in the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Like breaking, yes, absolutely. So this, this waves of 
pressure, this waves of stuff that's going to cause challenge, this waves of things that are coming. Because how often do you get one wave on the ocean or in a... You ever just get one wave? Like, oh, we got one wave coming in. Yeah, it's just over and over and over and over. Yeah, okay. Uh, the next time it shows up is in Mark eleven seven. This is Jesus coming into Jerusalem, eleven seven, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. You're like, wait, what? This is a flexible word. <laughs> brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Throw. Yeah, absolutely. And how many cloaks? Multiple. See, when it's used in Mark's gospel, this is not just talking about one thing. It's like waves and repeated and over and over. So when we get to Mark 14, 72... It says he broke down. This wasn't a, well, I had one immediate thought, and that was it. Oh, man, I shed a tear, and that, no, no, no. This word for wept is in the imperfect tense. It's repeatedly wept. He sobbed, he wailed aloud. The first time this word shows up in Mark's gospel is in Mark 5, 38 and 39, where professional mourners had been hired to mourn the death of a child. It's like, okay. So this repeated, almost professional approach to mourning that Peter had gotten himself into here because of the conviction in his heart about what had just happened. All right, so let's take a look at uh, our applications and personalizations. So application number one. For me, I'd say there's probably 20 million in this text, but you're going to get a little more gem today than normal, I think. So, uh, Denials don't have to be permanent. And oh, I am grateful for that. <laughs> Denials don't have to be permanent. So what do we do? What do we do with that? Well, how about we repent and believe in the gospel? Like Peter's smack dab in the middle of watching the gospel happen when he does this and something's going to happen in the next couple of days in his timeline that changes everything so that he stands up and preaches this sermon that's just unbelievable so what do we do with that repent and believe in the gospel uh, application number two Jesus prophecies about small things were 100% accurate too yes he got the big stuff right but yes he also got the little stuff right Jesus' prophecies about small things were 100% accurate, too. So what do we do with that? We should believe our Lord Jesus Christ's prophecies. Because he's still got some out there that he hadn't completed yet. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, are they good for us. <laughs> like, wow, amazingly good for us. And then my last point for Mark chapter 14, uh, God can do a lot in two months. 
It's about two months from this date that Peter breaks down and weeps to the date that he stands up at Pentecost. So what do we do with that? Don't give up hope in Christ's power. Don't give up hope in Christ's power to save and forgive sinners. Because I am one. And you are too. And we don't get better together at this. <laughs> Shockingly awfully enough. Now there's a typo on your handout, so I'm going to show you your typo on your handout. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we'll start prepping for Mark 15. We're not in Mark 14 again, so this is Jim copy-pasting too much here. I don't type these out every week, right? I mean, this is a lot of copy-paste. So. But uh, I do want to ask the question. We have just a minute. Uh, so what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So you feel free to answer about today's lesson, last week's lesson, all of Mark 14, anything up to and through Mark 14. But what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Yes, hope. It's amazing how something written so long ago can be hope, so filled with hope, isn't it? Like this is shockingly old stuff. Like this is about as old a news as we've got. <laughs> and it is wonderful and completely applicable for today. Giving us hope, amen. What else, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Yes, ma'am. Amen. It's okay that I don't understand everything about Jesus. Yes. Uh, we couldn't process it even if we, if it was available to us, right? I'll go logical on you. Sorry, like it's just we're not capable. I still struggle over parsing Greek verbs. I can't imagine how I'm expected to fully understand the one who governed and ordained all things. Right? That's a, and I'm glad he's a personal God. Amen to that. I'm glad he's a personal God. So, so there's something to what you said a while ago, Mitch, that Jesus looked at him. Right? In the middle of the trial that Jesus had been prophesying was going to happen, for months and months and months, possibly years, but at least months and months, Jesus takes a moment to look at one of his disciples. And it makes a difference in his life. Right? He's not... We, we don't serve a God that is... Uh, you know, I set the world in motion and I step back and I'm hands off. No, 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 no. He got his hands dirty to create man in the garden. He got his hands pierced on the cross. Right? This is a deeply personally involved God in our salvation. Um, absolutely. That's awesome.
right. Peter couldn't get to Jesus fast enough to. He was, he was making him breakfast on the shore, right? Making him breakfast. Personally engaged. What's going on? Yeah. I'm reminded that I should not be so quick to write off people that are imperfect. Oh, I was hoping we would land there. <coughs> yeah, I shouldn't be so quick to write off people who are imperfect because. I is one, right? Yeah. Ooh, Miss Nancy Miller coming in hot. To be more careful of our I will never statements. Boy, how, how much pain and grief could we have saved ourselves if we'd have just not ever said, I will never do. Mm, 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 mm. Well, I think that's a nice place to land. So let's stop there for today. So Lord willing, next week we will start prepping for Mark chapter 15. It's a pretty quick chapter, relative to Mark 14 at least. And uh, I am looking forward to it. Uh, I, I will tell you, it is a heavy chapter in the Gospel of Mark. Right? I mean, this is basically... It, the, the lens now is hyper-focused on Jesus. So we have all the other characters have basically been removed from the scene. And we are now exclusively looking at Jesus and what he did and went through for us. So um, just a warning. It's a little heavier. But we still have chapter 16. So don't forget that. So with that... Uh, you should have a weekly update on your table, so if you would, make sure your names are on that. Uh, take a moment, pray over one of those sections, or two of those sections, or all those sections. And then, uh, for those of you that are uh, online with us, thank you again for being online. Feel free to share your prayer requests there. We'd love to engage and pray for those. But after you have prayed, you are free to go and to worship the one who is a personal God, who did not give up on Peter, even when he denied him three times and he was on trial. And he is not going to give up on you either. And that is good news. So, thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.